Welcome to the FX Church Podcast. We are glad you've chosen to join with us this morning as we've been going through the book of Joshua, uh, chapter by chapter, and we are finishing our summer series, and then we'll be going into the book of Romans uh, this coming fall. We are in week 11, and our series is titled Inheritance. You know, God has been telling His people that He's going to bring an inheritance, that when mankind fell from His grace, He promised Adam and Eve that He would bring one that would bring an inheritance. And throughout Scripture, God continues to promise that there is an inheritance for those who believe in Him. And it is a sonship, it's a daughtership, it's an inheritance of relationship with Him. And so Joshua has been leading the people, if we remember the story, um, the people of God were promised through Abraham to have a land, a physical land that God said He would give to Abraham. And they've been waiting 600 years for that land. 400 years they were in slavery. 40 years they wandered in a desert because of their disobedience. And all the time they'd been clinging to this inheritance, all of them that they wouldn't see in their lifetime. That they had to tell other people that there is an inheritance coming. And even though we don't see it, we can trust God. We can believe that He will fulfill His promises because He has already done what He said He would do. All the while, Joshua and God has been telling His people to be strong and courageous, to follow Him and to do what He's asked them to do. Now Joshua has distributed the land. They've gone into the promised land. Moses, who led the people out of uh, slavery, has passed away. Joshua has now taken the people into the promised land, and he has now conquered most of the, some of the land to give the people their allotments, and now Joshua's coming to the end of his life, and he's having to hand over the reins. He's having to hand over the inheritance of his life, of what he invested in to everyone else. And if you remember, Joshua's name means Yahweh who saves. In the New Testament, the name Joshua means Jesus. And just as Jesus came and brought an inheritance that was sure through the promise of his life, death, resurrection, and his words to us that he would come again, Joshua is now giving his final words to the people before he goes on to wait for the ultimate promises of God and to see God face to face. Joshua 1.6 is kind of the theme where Joshua says at the beginning of his book, be strong and courageous. For you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. And so the people of God are having a decision to make. Will we believe in God? Will we believe his promises? Will we believe that there's inheritance, an inheritance that's coming for those who know him? Or will we try to get our own inheritance? Will we do what we want to do and build our own kingdoms? Or will we trust God for the kingdom he said he would build? And this week, what we're going to look at is fighting for you. You see, God is fighting, fighting for you. He's fighting for me. He's fighting for humanity to know him. And God is fighting not for necessarily our personal benefit. That's a result of what God fights for. But God is fighting for his glory, his righteousness. He's fighting for himself to be revealed, to show that he is Yahweh who saves. He is the God of all gods, that there is no other like him. And Joshua knows this. Joshua has been fighting for over 80 years, going on 90, even 100 years old. And Joshua has been fighting his whole life, believing in the inheritance, even earlier when no one else would. And now he's coming to the end of his life, realizing that his fight is over. And what are going to be his final words? Will he say, man, that wasn't worth it. And man, you only live once. Get everything you can out of life. You better experience life while you have it. Or will he point people to something bigger? And what Joshua does is he points them to something bigger. He points them to the fight that God is fighting for his glory and for his people to show them who he is, to be intimate with them in a relationship with them, to show the people that God desires for them to be his sons and daughters. And man, that is an incredible fight. It's a family fight. So in Joshua 23, 1, we dive into our passage of scripture today. It says, a long time after the Lord had given Israel rest from all the enemies around them, Joshua was old, getting on in years. So Joshua summoned all Israel, including its elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and said to them, I'm old, getting on in years, and you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord God did to all those nations on your account, because it was the Lord your God 
who was fighting for you. You see, Joshua is coming to the end of his life. He knows that this is it and that he has to hand everything over to these people that he's seen them be unfaithful in the past and he knows the hearts of people. They have leaders and judges and officers because they, he knows that people need governance or they go to anarchy. They fight. And so there's been peace. There's been rest. And Joshua's saying, look, there's been rest and peace, but there's still a fight to fight. And, and he's trying to get them to see and don't turn the fight against God and don't turn the fight against one another. Recognize what God is fighting for, for you, for your benefit. That if you walk with God, it's not like some of the gods of our world that say they're all for themselves and we are their pawns who they don't care about. But our God, Yahweh God says, I am the great I am and I want you to know me. I want you to be a part of my family. And I want to show you through the works that I've done throughout history to show you that I'm calling a people. I'm adopting people to be in my family, forgiving them, helping them. And he says here, remember that he's the one who did it. It wasn't you who earned it. You didn't earn this land. You didn't earn what you were doing. It was the Lord that did all these things. It was the Lord who gave. And that's what grace is in the Old Testament. Whenever you see the Lord gave, that's grace. God doesn't have to give us anything. He is not required to give us anything. And he makes promises to let us know that these are the things that he will give us, but he didn't have to make those promises. He does it because he loves us and he loves to show his glory through humanity. You know, we have a hard time in our culture admitting when it's time to, to come to the end of ourselves. You know, there's going to come a time when the fight is over. Not only the fight of our life, like maybe we'll live an old life or maybe we'll fight a disease and we come to the end of it and we give up, but just the fight to come to the end of ourselves and the end of our wills fighting against God <clears throat> and coming to the place where we say, I surrender. I give myself up and and you let everyone around you know that I'm living differently now. There's going to be a different way of doing things. That the old me is gone, but there's a God who has promised new things. And that's what Joshua is doing. And that's what we're all called to do, to recognize that God is fighting for you and for I to surrender. You see, that's what it looks like. And so often it's our tendency to look back and say, look at what I've built. Look at what we've done. Look at what we've earned. And Joshua's saying, you didn't earn any of it. He goes on and says, see, I have a lot of these remaining nations to you as an inheritance for your tribes, including all the nations I've destroyed from the Jordan westward to the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord your God will force them back on your account and drive them out before you so that you can take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised. You see, God's desire is to push out the idols, the rebellion and the sin, the things that corrupt, to push those out of our heart. These people were corrupting God's people with their idolatry. And the only way for us to push the things out is death. That's why the sacrificial system is in place in the Old Testament, because without the, the, the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness, no, no ending of sin. And that's the human experience. We fought a war in our country over slavery. And, and shed hundreds of thousands of people's lives because we refused to surrender and admit it was a wrong thing to use people, to force them to do what we wanted them to do. Even God didn't do that. Even when he's calling Joshua to go in and, and go into these lands, these people had a choice. These nations had a choice to either surrender and, and believe in God or to move and not fight. But they all chose to go to war, most of them, all but a couple chose to go to war <clears throat> against God and his people. You know, but what kind of war are we in? You see, God wants us to possess his promises, but we have to fight. And what does our fight look like? You see, in the Old Testament here, God was saying, look, you're going to have to go in and it's going to be hard and there's going to be a fight and there's going to be death and there's going to, it's going to be difficult for you. But do you believe that this land is the promised land that I gave to Abraham, that this is the land I swore, not that you decided you wanted, 
but that I told you that you were going to have to fight for. See, we always want it easy. We want God to just give it to us. That's what we think grace is. God just gives it. God says, no, I I do. I, I give it, but I want you to participate with me in the fight. I want you to fight for one another. I want you to fight for my glory. In Ephesians 6, in the New Testament, see, in the New Testament, we begin with a new covenant, that there's a new land that's coming. We're no longer fighting for a land here on this earth. God already fulfilled that promise. We looked at that in the message last week, that God has already fulfilled everything He said He would fulfill on this earth for His people. But now we're in a new battle. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. In other words, Paul says, look, our our new battle is not against these governments and these nations to take the land that God has promised, that that's already happened. Now God says all the land is his and one day he's going to come back and he's going to distribute it and he's going to win it. Now our battle is against the spiritual realm. There is a kingdom that's being built. It's a kingdom of the heart. And we are battling the our hearts and the hearts of others. And Paul says, you're going to have to battle. There's a fight because there's things that are going on in this world that's dark and evil. And we have to take on the full armor of God. Otherwise, we won't resist it. What we'll do is like Joshua was warning in this section, we'll just kind of go along with it all. And in the end, we aren't prepared and we haven't taken our stand. And it's going to be very costly to us and to those that come after us. So he calls Paul, God has Paul right to to take your stand, to be strong and courageous, be strengthened, like Joshua said in chapter 1. He goes on in verse 14 of Ephesians 6, and he says, Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. As he finishes this book, Paul does, he says, look, you need to be sure that you have the right armor. You have to understand that the armor we put on is not an actual physical armor, but it it represents something. That there is a belt that you wrap around you that that, that is the truth that we that we we put around ourselves, and it keeps everything together. And righteousness is that armor that that protects our heart to know I know what's right. I have the truth holding me up. And then your feet sandaled. We have to be ready to to share the gospel. And he says, of peace. So here we are getting ready for war, Paul says, but you're looking to try to bring peace. And sometimes the only pathway to peace is war. There was no other pathway to peace for black people in our culture during the civil war, except to go to war. There was going to be no other peace. And we still don't have peace because we can't surrender our wills to God's will. And in every situation, take that shield of faith. And he says, there are going to be arrows coming at you. God doesn't say, put on the armor and sit on your couch. He says, you're going to have to get dressed, put the armor on, and recognize that there are arrows coming and there is a battle. And he says, you have a sword, and that sword is God's word. You need to know how to be trained to use that sword properly, when to keep it sheathed, when to extend it because see you have to move the shield to extend the sword and if you move the shield at the wrong time the arrow is going to penetrate you and so he says look you're to know how to do this you're going to have to pray you're going to have to be trained in prayer and requests to God and if you're going to pray the right prayers you're going to need to be sure you're praying from the word from the righteousness from these things with, with a heart for the gospel He goes on and he says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery 
of the gospel, of the good news of what Jesus has done. For I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. You see, Paul goes on to say, look, pray that I'll be in the fight. Pray that the mystery of the gospel that sounds so strange the first time people hear it, that the mystery of the gospel that Jesus came in flesh and died, that God himself is is a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son came and paid the price so that we could be sons and daughters, that we could be adopted into his family. The gospel is is a mystery because the world doesn't work that way. But God has brought his message. He's brought us, if we're believers, into his world as his messengers to share the truth about who he is. And all the idols and all the other gods say that the way that you're saved and the way that you get to heaven and the way that you get to, the, to where you want to be in life is by your works. It's only Christianity that says your works are filthy rags if you don't start with the grace of God, with humility and surrender, saying, God, I need your forgiveness, your grace. I need the gift of your Holy Spirit and salvation to even be able to do a righteous work. Joshua goes on in chapter 23 and he says this, be very strong and courageous, obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn from it to the right or to the left and so that you do not associate with these nations remaining among you. Do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not worship them or bow down to them. Instead, remain faithful to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. The Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you, and no one is able to stand against you to this day. He says, look, there's a battle, and it's a hard balance between being an associate and being a neighbor. See, an associate is someone who associates. We, we say they're like us versus being a neighbor that says, yeah, they're my neighbor. There's a boundary that's there. You see, there's a book years ago called Changes That Heal that was written by Dr. Henry Cloud. And in that book, he talks about boundaries and bonding. And see, we can become over-bonded to people, over-associated with people if we're not careful and have no boundaries, or we can have too many boundaries and then not know how to bond properly the way God says to bond in the gospel to tell people about Him. Dr. Henry Cloud argues that one of the main factors in not having good boundaries and bonding is the fact that we have this good-bad split, that we see everything is good and everything is bad instead of coming before God and asking Him what's good and bad and praying and seeking Him. He also says that we have a problem with growing to maturity. Boundaries, bonding, good, bad, split, and growing to maturity. And Joshua here has said, hey, you've been growing. You've been, you've been doing the right thing, but be careful. Don't slip. Don't let down your boundaries and don't, don't start bonding wrongly and, and, and make sure you're representing God properly. He goes on in verse 10 and says, One of you routed a thousand because of the Lord your God was fighting for you. There's that term again, as he promised. Do you believe that that if there is a God, he, he desires to fight and invite you into the fight so that you can show others what it looks like to have a God that loves you and fights for you? Not for the things of this earth, but for the deeper things that, that we long for. Verse 11, Joshua says, so be very diligent to love the Lord your God for your own well-being. He says, look, it's not about loving God. Yes, it is for others, for your kids, for the church, for for all, but it's really about making sure that you're good with God, that you're right before Him, that your heart is surrendered to Him because if God has your heart, then He has the rest of you too. And we looked at that last week. Verse 12 of 23, it says, For if you turn away and cling to the rest of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry or associate with them and they with you, know for certain, Joshua says, that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out before you. They will become a snare and a trap for you, a scourge for your sides and thorns in your eyes until you disappear from this good land the Lord your God has given you. See, Joshua tells them, he says, look, you're in a fight. And if you start trying to, to make deals and negotiate and, and getting in with the tactics the enemy uses with little compromises, and you begin to go down that road and, and you don't really ask God his opinion and what do you want for me, and, and you're not careful with who your trusted people near you are, he says you can know for certain that God's not going to drive it out from among you because you're inviting it all in. I hear people say all the time, man, I just, I just want to be delivered from this. Great. 
How about you get some people around you that can help you drive it out of your life, some accountability, some help, some ask God to drive it out of your life, but instead we we keep playing with it. We say we want to drive something out of our life and then we keep it in the closet right where we know it is and then we keep going and getting it back out. God says, man, I want you to see that you can drive the things out of your life that are going to keep you from really loving and serving and knowing me. And what's interesting about this verse, at the end of Verse 13, he says, a trap for you, a scourge for your sides, thorns for your eyes until you disappear from this good land. That's exactly how Jesus, remember Jesus, his name means Joshua. It's Yahweh who saves. Jesus had a trap set for him. His side was pierced, scourged, and he had thorns put on his head and and, and his eyes. And he disappeared from this good land Why? Because he took our sin. He took the fact that we wouldn't drive out the sin and he died for us to say, now I want to help you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at in a minute as a help to get out the mess of your lives so that you can truly know me and know me for certain. You see, God doesn't bring discipline on his people that he isn't willing to put on his own son. And the son isn't willing to dish out discipline. He isn't willing to take himself. That is a unique God in the world of gods that we have seen throughout history. In verse 14 of 23, it says, Now, I am going now, or I am now going the way of all the earth. And you know with all your heart and with all your soul that none of the good promises the Lord your God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you, not one promise has failed. Joshua says, look, you know that God is who he says he is. The question is not, do you, it, it, it's your response. You know that God has fought for you and fought for his glory. There is no excuse. They had the Old Testament. They had memorized it. They had the stories. They had seen God worked in this generation and seen him do miracles. They're now in their promised lands, in their comfort. And he goes, don't believe the lies and deceivers. You know the way. You know where things are going. Verse 15 of 23, since every good thing the Lord God promised you has come about, so he will bring on you every bad thing until he has annihilated you from this good land and the Lord your God has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and worship other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly disappear from this good land he has given you. Look, In relationships that really care about us, they get angry when they see us not living as God would want us to live because they understand the consequences of not living for righteousness. When they see us undressed without the armor of God, but instead living carelessly, people who love us will warn us like Joshua is warning here, like Jesus will see warns us in John chapter 14. See, God doesn't mess around. You are either for him or against him. And yes, we sin and we struggled, but do we go and bow down before him and confess or do we keep going back and bowing down to our other gods to try to make deals? See, God says, I just want you to confess and repent and say, I did it and I'm sorry. And and God says, I want to forgive you and I want to raise you up and I want to teach you that I'm fighting for you and I love you and I want you to be in that fight with me for your heart for me. In John 14, Jesus, the Joshua of the New Testament, the ultimate Yahweh who saves, was giving his farewell address to his followers. You see, Jesus brought a completed covenant. Joshua brought a temporary covenant. God was showing that he could conquer the land. He could fulfill his promises and he would fulfill his promises. And then we see in the next book in Judges, they begin to lose the land. The land disappears, and when Jesus comes, he says, no longer are you focused on an earthly land. You're focused on me and me bringing someday a fight. And so we, like Abraham, are wandering, waiting for the promise. It's the same story over again. And we're waiting for God's fulfillment, just like Joshua and his people were waiting for the fulfillment, and they have it, and now they have to decide, how do we respond? Well, we're in the same boat. We have to decide how we're going to respond to a God who has said and promised and fulfilled everything, but not yet, not fully 
yet? How will we respond to the already, but not yet? In John 14, verse 1, this is Jesus, Yahweh who saves, the Joshua, giving one of his final addresses to his disciples before he is trapped, before he is pierced in the side, before he is has a crown of thorns placed on his head and he was crucified for the sins that we've committed, to, to die in our place when we were the ones that deserved the punishment. Here's what he says in verse 1 of John 14. Your heart must not be troubled. And that's a word we need to hear today. In the midst of all the mess we're in, we need to believe in God and believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also You know the way to where I am going. Lord Thomas said, one of his disciples, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am. That's Yahweh, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus says, what's getting ready to happen, guys, is I'm getting ready to make the ultimate fight and I'm going to win. And if you're going to fight, you have to go through me. You have to fight with me, because if you're not fighting with me and through me, if, 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 if you don't believe that I'm the way to fight, I'm the truth in the fight, I'm the life that if you die in, in this fight, I will bring you back to life, then you can't get to the Father. You can't get to heaven. Just like Joshua was saying, if you don't worship God, you're not going to get what you think you want. You're not going to get to the promise. And Jesus says here that, look, there's no promised land here anymore. I'm going to prepare a promised land for you, a place, and I will bring it. And you're going to wait. But while you wait, you're going to have to represent me. While you wait wandering, while you wait in slavery, waiting for the promised land to come, you need to serve me and make me known. And it's a fight. He goes on in verse 7. If you know me, in John 14, you will also be my know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says it's about a relationship. Look, if you know me, if you truly know who I am and have believed in me, then you're going to know the father. Verse eight, he says, Lord, Philip says, show us the father. And that's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. He looks at Philip, and Philip's saying, wait, wait, how do we know? And he says, you know, have faith. God has proven himself. Why do you refuse to believe and rest in the relationship but instead demand God prove his love again and again and again for you when he's already proven it over and over. You see, Jesus has been holding back God's wrath on our behalf, offering forgiveness to the world. He is fighting in heaven. He's, he's, he's waiting for the call and he's fighting so that those might not perish but come to repentance. In Joshua 24, we pick back up the story Verse 1, it says, Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, summoned all Israel's leaders, elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors. This is what God says, I've been fighting for you before you were ever thought of. This battle you're in is not anything new, and I have fulfilled my promises, and you can trust me that I will fight for you. And I've got a fight in mind, and I've got a promise that's coming. He goes on to say, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates rivers and worshipped other gods. He said, look, I know your ancestors didn't really maybe worship the best. They may not even have worshipped me, but I've called you to worship me. I've called you to make a decision. And that's what he says in verse 3 of 24. But you, I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates rivers, led him through the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the hill country of Seir to Esau as a possession. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt by what I did there. And afterwards, I brought you out. I fought these battles. 
Verse 6, when I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you reached the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursued your fathers with the chariots and horsemen as far as the sea. Your fathers cried out to the Lord. So he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea over them, engulfing them. Your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. After that, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Again, haven't I been with you? Haven't I been fighting for you? If you'll just think back over your life and recognize all the times you should have been dead, all the times that that you shouldn't be here, all the bad decisions that should have cost you, and yet you're still here. You're still, if you're listening to this podcast, you're still seeking. That's a powerful thing. He goes on in verse 8, Later I brought you to the land of the Amorites who live beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. You possessed their land, but I annihilated them before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, I repeatedly blessed you and delivered you from his hand. See, God doesn't owe us anything. We live in a world that should have killed all of us a long time ago. It's amazing we haven't had multiple pandemics, as stupid as we are and and, and as dangerous as the world is. And yet God has, for some reason, chose to not take his hands off. You see, God doesn't have to bring punishment by sending lightning bolts. All God has to do is take his hands off and turn us over to ourselves. And we'll do just fine in fighting amongst ourselves and killing each other. Verse 11, it says, Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The people of Jericho, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gershashites, Hivites, and Jebusites fought against you, but I handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you. It drove out the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by your sword or bow. I gave you a land you did not labor for and cities you did not build, though you live in them. You are eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. You ever gone to the grocery store? You didn't grow any of that. Someone else did. And somehow God has provided those resources so we can purchase and and live life and eat and be healthy. You know, we can't stand to be told that that we didn't do something. We didn't earn something. Just like here, the people of God would have been like, well, we fought too. I mean, what did we do? And God's like, well, yes, you fought alongside me, but but it was me doing it. And you see, that's why people lost their mind when Obama said, you didn't build that. I think it was one of the most prophetic statements of his presidency. I think his focus was wrong. He was saying it was the government who who you need to depend on. No, we didn't build that. God did. He should have been referencing God. Instead, he referenced government. No, it was God that's even allowed us to exist. I haven't built anything in my life that God hasn't given me the grace and fought for me before I was ever even thought of. And man, what a good father prepares great things for his children. In verse 14, it says, Therefore, fear the Lord and worship Him in sincerity and truth. You see that? Worship Him in sincerity and truth. That's the Spirit. In your spirit is where sincerity is. It's the sincerity of like, I want to worship Him in the spirit of my soul and in the truth that He has said. And He says, Get rid of the gods of your fathers worshipped before the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. He's like, look, there are things in your heart that you continue to worship, idols you continue to chase that you need to get rid of. Then he goes on and he says, but if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship, the God of your father's worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. He says, look, you've got to get rid of the idols and the gods of your heart. You are in a fight. And you know, if you've ever tried to get rid of people's stuff, they get really upset. It's a battle. And maybe you shouldn't be getting rid of people's stuff. You know, sometimes we can get rid of people's stuff and we don't realize that we need to take them before God and ask God his opinion on things. You see, we don't like to be messed with. And God's like, you have to die. All flesh is going to die. We have to crucify the flesh. Jesus died. He crucified his flesh. He paid the price for us. And then he asked us to pick up our cross, to be crucified on his behalf so that we can experience the fullness of sincerity and truth in our hearts. And this is where we are in our culture today. We refuse to fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth and to get rid of the gods of our fathers. 
We want to look to the founding fathers as gods, and they were not gods. Did they do some things that were radical, maybe things that were beneficial? Did God use that government? Sure, but he also used the government of Babylon, the government of Egypt, the government of Assyria, the government of Rome. God uses governments. He fights for his glory, and they don't realize that they're just pawns. God doesn't want us to be a pawn. He wants us to be a son and a daughter. And it's going to look strange to our culture, especially in Christian culture, that often tells us that fighting is wrong. Now, can we fight wrongly? Yes. But so many Christians have stopped fighting so that we can try to keep what we think we've been promised here and now. And we haven't been promised here and now. We've been promised forever. And we've been promised the spirit here and now, but we haven't been promised a land here and now. Jesus goes on in John 14 when he's giving his final words like Joshua is giving his final words here. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you a counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. There's that sincerity of truth. Sincerity of truth. He's going to come into your heart so that you will know the truth that you can... And when we come together as believers, we want to look to the Spirit and ask the Spirit to work and look to God's Word, which we're doing now in this podcast for the truth. He says, the world is unable to receive Him because it does not see Him or know Him. In other words, the world's in a fight with Him. They don't want to invite Him in. They're at war with Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and I will be in you. Jesus promises a relationship. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. I'm going to fight for you. In a little while, while the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live in you and you will live too. In other words, you're going to be in a fight. It's going to feel like you're dying. You are going to die, but just know that I have you and I will make you live again because Jesus paid the price of death and came back to life. In verse 20, it says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. In other words, in that day, you will know we are a family, that we are in relationship, that we are in this fight together for the glory of the Godhead. And you'll know what we're fighting for. Paul writes to the church in Galatia in chapter five, and he kind of explains this battle that we're in, just like he did in Ephesians. He starts out in Galatians 5 and he says this, Christ has liberated us to be free. That means he has fought. Liberation is a fighting that you fight and to liberate people like the concentration camps that were liberated from Germany to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, Paul says, why are so many of you just giving in? You're not fighting. You're just taking on the the mess. Verse 16, Paul jumps down. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. In other words, Paul says, there's a war happening inside of us between our fleshly desires and the Spirit of God who has come in. And when we invite Jesus to come into our life, we invite a fight because we know it's worth it. We know we don't want to hand down the idolatry to our children and grandchildren. We want to hand down the promises of God. And so we ask the Spirit to come in to do business in the sincerity of our heart with the truth that He gives, just like Joshua told his people. In verse 18 of Galatians 5, Paul says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, it's not about trying to measure up so you can get something. You're not under the law. It's about knowing that that God has forgiven you. And so I'm not under the law, I'm over the law. So when I look at the law, I say, man, that's good. I want to do it. Not, I have to do it or else. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. And then Paul gives a long list of the obvious things that show that we're for ourselves, that we're using people, that we're not fighting for God's glory. We're fighting for our own selfish, fleshly desires. And then he said, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice Paul says, practice such things. He doesn't say if you do one of these, you can't be in the kingdom of God. No, it's an idea of practicing, that you actually plan to do these things. They're things that you think you should be practicing because they're going to give you a benefit, like an athlete who practices for the benefit of performance, of the fight of the game. 
He says, don't practice these things. And if you do them, confess. And God is gracious and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, John says. Or God says through John. You see, Paul is saying the same thing here that Joshua is trying to get his people to realize. Don't focus on the law. Focus on the relationship from the sincerity of the heart, knowing the truth about who God really is behind his laws, that we don't just do his laws. We understand his laws give us his heart. And when you understand that you are his, you want to do what he's doing so that you can be with him in the fight. You want to be with the family. You see, there is a kingdom war going on for the hearts of people And he says right here, I want you to inherit that kingdom. I want you to be a part of leading others to have an inherited kingdom that God has promised. Just like Joshua is saying, I want you to to have an inherited kingdom and I want you to obey so that your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren can all have the inheritance God has promised. He goes on to say in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, you can do as much of these things as you want. You can fight for as much love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You can fight for that as much as you want because there's no laws over how much the Spirit wants to, to fight for these things in our heart. Now, we have interpretations of these words, like love looks a certain way. It can be very loving to be harsh. God was very loving and very good to his people to discipline them even harshly. Joy, we think it's like happiness. Joy isn't necessarily a smile on your face. Joy is a a deep abiding sense that regardless of the circumstances you're in, you can rejoice that there is a plan, there is a promise. Peace is the same way. We think that peace is, you know, sitting on a cloud or sitting in a forest and sometimes you have to fight for peace. Patience, we have to... These are things we have to fight for, but we're not fighting to get something. We're fighting because we recognize if we have the Spirit, we already have these things, and there's a war that our flesh is fighting us against, and we want these things, not what the flesh wants. Then in verse 24, he says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There it is. We are to crucify the flesh. We are to lay down our lives as Christ did, and we crucify our fleshly passions and desires. And then he says in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, the sincerity of the heart, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And we know that in the story of God's people, that's exactly what begins to happen. They stop living by the Spirit of God, by the commands of God. They stop pursuing and fighting for Him. They start making compromises. They start being conceited about what land they have and what land they have. And they begin provoking one another on their borders and their boundaries. And and then they envy, envy one another and they just start going to war. And God turns them over and their enemies come in and it is ugly. You see, God wants us to know He's fighting for us. He wants us to then join him in that fight by laying down his life like Jesus did and fight for others like he's fighting for others and their eternal promise and destiny of a new earth if they know Christ. Jesus goes on in John 14 and says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. I will also love him and reveal myself to him. Not I might reveal, I will. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? In other words, he's like, how are we going to see you and not everybody see you? Because if you're going to reign and be Messiah, then everybody's going to see you. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, for my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Man, that is relational family talk. Verse 24, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. If you really love someone, if you're really on their team, if you're really fighting with them, then then you have agreement. You fight for what they want to fight for. And God says, it's not hard to recognize. And then he says, the word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the Father who sent me, Jesus said. I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you. Just like Joshua was speaking his final words to the people of his day while he remained with them. He's giving them their final words to, to tell them what a relationship with the Father, what God looks like, what the fight's going to look like, and how desperately God has been fighting for them and loves them. 
He wants to speak these things before he's gone. Let me ask you, do you have a heart, if you're a believer, to want to speak the truths of God because you know that you may not have tomorrow, that you want to tell people about your God, you want to share how great he is? You see, the command of God is repentance, to say, I'm not God, I surrender, I I love you, I deserve nothing, and, and you've been so gracious to me, and then to embrace his full grace that he's given through Jesus, and that leads us to gratitude and healing so that we can get back up and now in a resurrected kind of state and a new heart and new sincerity of heart and, and, and now knowing the truth, we can fight the right fights. See, that's our God. And then Jesus goes on to say, but when the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. God's Spirit will be with you. And and He will teach and remind you of everything I've told you. Look, Jesus wrote the whole Bible. He is the Word of God in John's Gospel, chapter 1. It says, Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. So these words Joshua is writing are words given by Jesus. So Yahweh who saves is giving Yahweh, who is the temporary Savior, Joshua, to the people, the temporary help, He's giving them his words, and he says, I'm going to teach all of it, how it fits together, all the things, and I'm going to remind you of everything, just like Joshua was reminding the people of Abraham and everything that God had done. Jesus says, all this word, all that I've given you, I'm going to send a counselor, the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to send the body of Christ, all these people who have the Holy Spirit, so together you can teach one another and remind one another of everything that's true. As Joshua wraps up and Verse 24 at the end of, or chapter 24 at the end of verse 15, he says, as for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. So Joshua gives the people a choice and he says, you have to choose today whom you're going to serve. But he says, as for me and my family, we'll worship Yahweh. And just like Jesus said, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit are all about the worship of the Godhead of Yahweh. What will your family decision be? You see, Jesus, when he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, a woman who was of ill repute, in John chapter 4, verse 23, he says, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, in sincerity of heart. The heart's been changed by the Holy Spirit and in truth. That's what Joshua was saying. You've got to make a decision whether you're going to be sincere of heart and let God come in and let him change you and dominate and fight for his causes and his truth or make up your own. Then Jesus says, yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. See, they were having a worship argument. Jesus was looking at the woman and saying, who do you really worship? Because you've had all these husbands. You've had all this life. Who do you really worship? And she throws back on him and says, well, well, your people worship on this mountain and my people worship on this mountain. And, and Jesus is saying, it doesn't, that's not what it's about. Where? It's about the heart. And he says, yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. In other words, I know that Yahweh is coming, that the Messiah, Yahweh saves, is coming. I know he's coming who is the Christ. In other words, who is the the true Messiah. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus looks at her in verse 26 and he says, I am he. That word he uses there is he's saying, I am God. I am God in the flesh. Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. You see, we have a decision to make just like this lady, just like Joshua, just like Jesus gave to his disciples in John 14. We have a decision to make about what we're going to fight for. Are we going to fight for God? Are we going to fight for you, God? Or are we going to fight for things that don't matter? Are we going to get involved in battles and skirmishes and political battles and things that in the end don't matter? Or are we really going to fight for the truths about God and His grace and who He is? Are we going to fight what He says? Are we going to point people to a relationship with Him? Let me ask you this morning, do you know it? Have you surrendered? Have you chosen today whom you'll serve? Have you said, I, I want to worship this God who, who died for me, who paid the price that I deserve, who's different from all other gods? You're going to fight for the life you want. See, Jesus doesn't 
leave us with any other option. Either he is who he says he is and the Godhead is who who they say they are. Or it's all a lie. And if it's a lie, then what do we build our life on? What is really true? And I pray that today you'll understand that there's been a God who has been fighting for human souls for all of each for all of human history. And he says that there is a promised land coming. There is an inheritance and he is fighting for you and he's fighting for people. And he wants to know you and he wants you to get in the fight. And that starts with being sincere in heart and embracing the truth of who you are, knowing that you can't measure up and that God will give you the power to crucify your desires and live for his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word today. Thank you for this message. I thank you that your word is true, that it reveals who you are. I thank you for Joshua, for Jesus, for Paul, for these people that wrote as they were coming to the end of their life. They gave us the exact same truths, that you haven't changed. You're the same God today and forever, and you've been fighting for us and fighting for souls. Lord, may we give you all praise and glory and honor that's due your name. And I pray that if there's someone that's listening to this podcast who doesn't know you, that they would cry out to you, as Joshua says, and say, today, I want my family to worship Yahweh. I surrender my flesh and all those evil things, and I want the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I want the things of the Spirit in my life. And so I can't earn them. I'm done. I surrender. God, I'm over. It's time for you to be worshiped in my life. And Lord, for those of us who know you, help us to see that your grace is always available when we repent, that you never stop fighting for our hearts. You love us. And may we reciprocate our love by being grateful, by obeying you and telling people how great you are and how wonderful it is that we're not under the law. We're not trying to measure up, but we have a God forgives and gives us grace and that we serve him now because we're just so grateful and we fight to be grateful in worship to you pray all this in your name amen thanks for this time i want to thank all of you for joining us and, and i pray that god would be with you you'd understand that he's fighting for you and you'd fight for him have a great week